Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. (laughs) The second annual NDC Minnesota is coming up May 6th through 9th. Go to ndcminnesota.com today to register. And tell them Carl and Richard sent you. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Cavill. And we are still... In London, this may be the last. Later, yeah, this may be the last one we. It may be. You never know, really know, because you record a bunch and then you publish them. But and we might shift them around. Yeah, things happen. Yeah, things happen. Anyway, we're still here. Uh, It was supposed to snow last night and this morning, and of course, there's no snow. But it is a little rainy, but not bad. You know. But we saw some panicked Brits. That's worth something, isn't it? That's true. We're all gonna die. We're all gonna die. But then again, I saw this woman go out of the hotel like in a in a short miniskirt yesterday, yeah. and it was really cold out. Yeah. And I'm you know wearing this long wool coat, and I'm like, how can you do that? I don't know. I don't know. It's how we roll. Sacrifice for fashion, I guess so. Uh, Dan North is here. We're going to be talking to him in just a few minutes, but first we have a couple of things to take care of, including better know a framework. Roll the music. <laughs> Okay, well, this being show 1631, um, possibly. Most likely. Most likely. If it's not, take the show number, dot pwop dot me. And uh, I found this really cool book called Rubber Band Engineer. Build slingshot powered rockets, rubber band rifles, unconventional catapults, and more guerrilla gadgets. Why don't they just call it the Rubber Band Anarchist Cookbook? It's exactly what it is. (laughs) That sounds fantastic. I knew you would love it. I this. want a rubber band trebuchet. That's what I want. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I saw some of the things that they were doing in, in the book. And I read, you know, if you look at the 40 customer reviews, they're overwhelmingly five stars. This is something I must have. Oh, that's awesome. And I figured you guys would like this. And they're all posted by his fringe gorilla outfit. <laughs> yes. Going, it's fantastic. <laughs> I killed seven of the oppressors with the rubber band Gatling gun. Right. <laughs> but, you know, if, you, if you've got kids, a lot of our listeners are around our age or maybe a little younger. And, you know, you got kids and you want them to get interested in how things work and engineering Rather than giving them an old radio to take apart and destroy with hammers and chisels and stuff, which I did. And you have that squirrel problem in the garden. That's right. You can kill two squirrels with one trebuchet. Absolutely. You've seen Twirl a Squirrel. Yes. Have you seen this thing called Twirl a Squirrel? No. Oh, okay. So, so you know how you hang a bird feeder on a hook, right? So, this is essentially a hook on the top. And it's got a rotating pressure-sensitive motor with a hook on the bottom. So it goes in between (laughs) your bird feeder and the actual hook. And the birds don't trigger it. But when a squirrel jumps on that thing, now it knows, oh, there's a squirrel on here. And it starts spinning it around. (laughs) And then they just go, fly off. And it's hours and hours of fun. (laughs) So so clearly it's designed as some kind of squirrel deterrent. What's actually happening is all the squirrels are going, this is so cool and bringing all their squirrel buddies (laughs) and and jumping and it sprays bird seed all over the place. (laughs) How long can you hold on to it? It's essentially an entertainment (laughs) device. It's it's a squirrel fucking bronco. You stop being mad that the squirrels are getting into the bird feed and now you're excited the squirrels are coming close to the bird feeder. And it's YouTube gold. It's going to be filming stuff. And it's like, hey kids, come here, check this out. 
then the kids are jumping on us thinking, no, hang on, it's a whole different device. There are other ones on YouTube I've seen that are a little bit more sadistic to the to the squirrels, like a squirrel trebuchet or a squirrel yeah. catapult. And these are so much fun to watch, but oh, it's horrible. Squirrels do lots of flying anyway. <laughs> It's, like, it's, not, it's not like they don't know how to land. You, you know, we, you know, I've got the wildlife cameras at yeah. the Boat Coast place. I had a literal a flying squirrel land directly in front of the camera. A flying squirrel, a proper flying squirrel with the pat, this, the strips of flesh wow. between, and but it, it happened to be where this thing's position is right by a tree. So it was just like, thump, yeah. So it's just like peaceful, you know, dust, <laughs> very quiet. All of a sudden, thump, <laughs> and this big eye goes, "How you doing?" <laughs> and then it goes around the other side of the tree. I know this is a camera. I know this looks awesome. I Bye now. I yeah. gotta see that video. <laughs> it's a great clip. Oh, <laughs> I'll pull it up for you. All right. Well, anyway, that's a little bit of geekery for this morning. And that's uh, a basic description of how this show is going to go. <laughs> it's going to be a good one. <laughs> we have Dan, and he's going to go, Shh. <laughs> How you doing? How you doing? Uh, well, who's talking to us? Uh, grabbed a comment off of show 1412, Jane Austen visits .NET Rocks. Oh, yes. We called it Ops and Operability. Yes. <laughs> With Dan North. And that is uh, February of 2017. So, I mean, two years ago, dude. It's been a while. Yeah, it mm-hmm. has been a while. Yeah, yeah. Literally, literally a little too long. And Larry Meyer had this great comment. This is from two years ago. Uh, I really like Dan's quote from the for Virginia Satter about that everyone's trying to help. No matter how toxic behavior, at some level, they believe they're mm. trying to help. Yeah. To understand them, we mu- what must be your worldview is that sometimes acti- actively sabotaging a meeting is helping. Hmm. This provides insights into how to reach them. For example, how they are defensive about losing their job. Hmm. All I really needed to know about psychology and human communications, I learned from .NET Rocks. Really? Apparently. Thanks for another. Sorry. (laughs) He did actually (laughs) misspell .NET Rocks as D-U-T-T-N-O-T-R-U-C-K-S and then said in parentheses, Spelling not covered. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Clearly, you weren't paying attention in spelling class. Uh, but yeah, I, and I remember that conversation. You know, yeah, yeah. sort of our class. I, I, I think I've used those particular quotes and some of the stuff I've been doing working on the history of .NET, where it's like I'm pretty sure all parties involved here came to work each day believing they were going to do great things for the company that day. That, mm-hmm. that, that what they were working was essential and important, even if we disagree, and even if it you know on the outside seems harmful. Well, and and if you look at some of Microsoft's um, embrace and extend and extinguish kind of strategies over the decades, there's a bunch of executives somewhere in Seattle that all think this is exactly you know this is the, this is a healthy way to behave, or at least the, it was. Once well, exactly time. once upon a time, and you know on the in the, the other camp in the Java world, the the meeting of minds of back in the day would have been IBM, Oracle, and Sun coming up with enterprise java right. and thinking mm. that was okay that was a great thing you were making the world a better place <laughs> our industry back 20 years yeah. ah you just get complicated on that yeah. uh, so larry thank you so much for your comment a copy of music to code by is on its way to you and if you'd like a copy of music to code by write a comment on the website at rocks.com or via facebook we publish every show there and if you comment there and we read it on the show we'll send you a copy of music to code by and I can happily endorse Music to Code By as a very happy consumer of Music to Code By to Code By. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Works That's great. for me too. Well, definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Catapult us a tweet. <laughs> <laughs> no trebuchet goes unanswered. <laughs>
All right. right. All right. I don't know if you want to cut this out or not, but I have the clip of the squirrel. You do? I do. (laughs) I'm just going to show you the clip of the squirrel. Oh, I want to see this. Uh, I'm not sure how good radio is going to make. It's not going to make great radio, (laughs) but it makes me happy. It's only 10 seconds. Let's see. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. That's it. It's just That's a 10-second clip. You just zip, bang. Wow. He, can't, he flies fast. He did. He comes in in He's, a hurry, right? Wow. That He's was got worth, somewhere to be. That was worth listening to, wasn't it, kids? <laughs> you know, I will. I'll punch the. I'll put the clip on, on Facebook or something. Okay. We could, we could edit this down. No, no, no. I think everybody wants to see this. Everybody actually. wants it. Okay. They do they, now. Or the fly squirrel. All right. It's well, a real thing. Given the state of world affairs, people need more flying squirrels in their life. I completely agree. I'm not saying I was unhappy finding the clip of the <laughs> flying squirrels. <laughs> well, well, we've had this, this whole Brexit debacle unfolding in the UK. There's a number of well-known political commentators who have just resorted to posting um, little videos of, of pandas and yeah, saying this is all I, I, I remember now. this is it, <laughs> it became news of the you know the vote failing and the and the the reporter just looking at the camera going I don't know what to say like yeah I, 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 yeah I got nothing I, I got, got nothing, nothing right? <laughs> this, and that sort of that that becomes news where it's like reporter has nothing yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> well I think I should properly introduce Dan here Dan North uses his deep technical and organizational knowledge to help CIOs, business, and software teams to deliver quickly and successfully. He puts people first and finds simple, pragmatic solutions to business and technical problems, often using lean and agile techniques. With 30 years of experience in IT, Dan is a frequent speaker at technology and business conferences worldwide, the originator of Behavior Driven Development, BDD, and Deliberate Discovery, Dan has published feature articles in numerous software and business publications and contributed to the RSpec book, Behavior Driven Development with RSpec, Cucumber, and Friends, and 97 Things Every Programmer Should Know, Collective Wisdom from the Experts. He occasionally blogs at dannorth.net slash blog. Welcome back, Dan. Thank you very much. Lovely to be back. It's right. been too long. I miss you guys. I, I, years, we totally yeah. miss you too. And uh, I... I don't know where, should we go back to the, the flying squirrel or should we move on to? Uh, <laughs> I think the flying squirrel should be an anchor for the entire yes. conversation. This is a flying squirrel themed show. <laughs> so uh, what has trebucheted you over here to uh, NDC this week? So what's trebucheted with me here? Um, well, I live in London. This is a Yeah, you really have no me. excuse. <laughs> yeah. excuse you go home at, at this night. Conference. Yeah, yeah, I've been commuting to NDC. That's great. Um, no, it's interesting because mostly in the past I've given fairly technical talks on fairly technical topics mm-hmm. here, and um, this year, I, and, and we, we, I chatted with the you know, program committee and said, "What do we want to talk about?" And they said, "Actually, there's this talk you, you've got about uh, what it means to be a developer, mm-hmm. kind of in the modern age, if you like." Yeah, yeah. Which I think it's that's transformed in the past few years oh, it's a so lot. Has. Very much so, yeah. yeah. And and so and for me, I mean, it's a it's a theme I've been riffing on for a number of years. Yeah. And uh, it didn't occur to me that it would be a, you know that, that let's talk about that thing here. Mm. And then, but I think NDC itself as a as a conference, you see these you know these conferences evolve over the years. I mean, you folks are deeply deeply embedded in the Microsoft world, and you've and you've kind of come out of that a bit into this. And then .NET Rocks itself has become a more broad church. Sure. Yeah. Type of we, we're not about .NET. We're about kind of developers. Yeah, complicated creatures. Yeah, and exactly. And then, likewise, yeah. NDC as a conference um, almost not didn't exactly start in in reaction to Java Zone, but it was very much you know 
uh, Norway's Java needs, if you like, were being very well met. And there was mm-hmm. this massive space of, of .NET. Sure. Mm-hmm. And that's where they started and very successfully. And, and then over the years, they're saying, Do you know what, actually, there's exactly the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. .NET isn't a technology. It's an ecosystem of human beings getting work done. Right. And there's huge, huge amounts of really interesting topics there in terms of and scaling, availability, path to live, uh, front-end development, uh, human behavior, how teams work, how organizations work, is all relevant to being a successful... The interaction that you and I had this morning when you first walked in was a really good example of how developers have changed, isn't it? I mean, (laughs) I'm trying to um, paste something from an exercise into VI in a Bash shell, you know, because I'm doing some Kubernetes stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, all the, the spacing is going crazy. And Dan goes, yeah, all you have to do is colon set paste and then try it again. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> it's looked disastrous, but you're missing one command. <laughs> yeah, but, but that's what being a .NET developer feels like in yeah. 2019, isn't it? I mean, you're, you're sort of uh, having to learn, um, you're having to sort of master the, the Linux world just to be able to, to get things, things done and deployed. Well, I mean, even five years ago, I mean, I don't know what the timeline's been, so I might be wrong, but even five years ago, the idea of Microsoft even you know, being friends with yeah. you know, that world. And then suddenly the, 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 very re- the, the reality of, of having a bash prompt in your you know, Windows 10 yes. mm. development environment is like, mind, <laughs> Where mind are blowing. we? And I have a story from .NET Rocks, from the history of .NET through .NET Rocks, of how Microsoft MSDN used to have a mirror download site for .NET Rocks because they were helping me out with bandwidth and all of that, mm-hmm. right? And so they would basically publish the shows after I published my shows, they would take, and then they would show up. So I noticed that my interview with Miguel de Acaza didn't show up in their feed. And I asked them, and they said, oh yeah, we, we're, we're not going to do that. And this was just when he was working on Mono and the early days of .NET, you know, and wow. yeah. this was way before any of this stuff. But he was like persona non grata at Microsoft. They didn't want us, they didn't want us talking to Parts him. of it anyway. Well, yeah. and this is another NDC time here because I think it was NDC a couple of years ago where they were talking about, um, and again, I can't remember his name. I, I know him, so it's embarrassing. Uh, uh, <laughs> the F-sharp lead. Don Syme. Thank you, Don. I was thinking Doug, I had in my head. Don Syme um, was talking about uh, that whole ecosystem mm-hmm. and the fact that now um, Microsoft uh, has a direct, you know, almost like I think it's not not quite a web hook, but basically any changes that go into the mono code base mm. get pulled in and tested on Microsoft infrastructure. So sure. they'll pull the stuff down, run all the automated well. tests, do all that. So they're providing all the build and deployment infrastructure, yeah. serving infrastructure for Mono, yes. you know, this open source thing on Microsoft Kit. And I'm just, mm. you know, that, that again well, they, is unthinkable. They did, they did buy Xamarin, right? Yeah. I mean, interesting yeah. corollary is Don Syme is now working in the Xamarin offices in Boston. Oh, right. Yeah, he, <laughs> yeah. he and me, Miguel, you know, I think hang out a fair bit, although Miguel's always oh. crazy busy. That, that mm. shows Mr. Syme as well. But uh, yeah. yeah, it is interesting how all those things have come around. My interviews, which most of which will appear in the in the history.net book, there's a point where you realize everybody hated Miguel. Yeah. You know, the Microsoft people were super suspicious of him because he was mm-hmm. a Linux guy, and the Linux guys were furious with him because he was talking to Microsoft. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, Linux, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and they were they, you know, back then Linux was a threat to Windows. Or it was perceived as as a perceived threat. Like that's right. the yeah. important part, right? Is that this was all perception. Yep. You know, 
and ir- and irrational perceptions. Honestly. Totally. Well, well, it's 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 interesting. I think it's more of a it poses an existential threat to your business model if your business model is selling that. Mm. Right. So <clears throat> if you look at the vast majority of the cloud is running on Linux. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. The vast majority of it. Yeah. The vast majority of I, I don't know I don't know what proportion of Azure runs Linux versus. Well, their their hosting and en- internal hosting engine is a variant of Windows that originally was codenamed Red Dog, but it's what, almost half of the VMs that they're being paid for yeah. are Linux VMs, mm. right? And so you know, there's 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 like oh, it's an existential threat, or no, it's not. It's a it's a business opportunity. It's a rather than fighting over the pie, we can make a bigger pie. Well, and also the pie changed. Yeah. They sell, they, basically, the selling of desktop software seems to be an obsolete concept now. Yeah, thank right. God, too, yeah. right? Well, and, and then we went from more than, you know, m- m- most uh, interactions in the world were happening through your browser right. to most web interactions. I think this was 2015. Most web interactions were now happening on mobile devices. Yes. Mm, yeah. You know, we hit that uh, inflection point. Yeah, thank God Scott Guthrie had the wherewithal to embrace all that, you know, in the earlier days of Azure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just this recognition. It is rare for big companies to turn the ship. Yeah. Right? They they went from a, they are they starting around 2014. Mm-hmm. And that's the point where they started no longer focusing on selling boxes of software to CTOs, right? Uh, which you may or may not use. To we're a cloud provider and we only get paid when you use our stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's a totally different sales model, it's a totally different product space. But it's almost like we've just disintermediated the operating system in some respects, mm-hmm. at least yeah. as a, from the revenue stream point of view. I mean, we're all still running operating systems. Mm. But it, a little while ago, I looked around and figured out like the only the only people trying to collect money on operating systems left was Microsoft. Well, possibly IBM with mainframe. Mm-hmm. Right, OS is, but, that's yeah. a, you know, but they generally different. sell it with the machine. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. In the yeah. same sense, you could say Mac OS is sold, but it's only sold with a Mac, which you can only buy from Apple. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. It was all, yeah. only Microsoft was saying, "Oh, you're selling XYZ brand computer. You owe us a fee to put Windows on it." So you're saying the Apple model is more like the IBM mainframe model? Much, hey, very much. Yes. Yeah. So and what, what you're doing, you're, you're you're buying a compute capability. Yeah. And the compute capability because they own. The hardware, the the supply chain, the operating system, the, all of that stuff. Um, it means they can be much more focused, much more targeted. Microsoft, I guess, from its inception, you know, as the, being the was, operating system on on IBM kit, yeah. has always been a a value add onto someone else's tin. Well, mm. this was Gates's insight from yeah. the very beginning: was owning the hardware was a mistake. Mm. The hardware is going to keep changing. And you're going to be, you know, stuck with old inventory kind of thing. You destroy your own business. So first he started out just selling languages, but specifically writing those languages so that they ran the same on different hardware. Yep. yep. So that you gradually grew this cadre of Microsoft developers, because if you knew how to program in Microsoft Basic, it worked on a dozen different machines. <laughs> well, and, and, and brilliantly, they called it IBM, being IBM PC compatible. It's nothing to do with IBM PCs. It was to do with, do, does, does, does your hardware work with Microsoft drivers? Yes. So, yeah, is right. it Microsoft, is, is it MS-DOS driver compatible? Was, the, yeah. uh, was that actually what you were buying? Well, ultimately, that's what it, what, it, what it became. Right? Microsoft <laughs> ended up owning that space. But I did think that Bill always saw that, yep. that being abstracted from the hardware gave you that advantage. And isn't it interesting that, you know, we sort of come around to this place where the only people still standing are the old style business, the IBMs and the Apples that have always done the all up integrated, effectively walled garden approach to sale, mm-hmm. yeah. selling and supporting that stuff. And everything else is transformed into cloud. 
Well, and cloud and mobile, and this is this is for me, this is fascinating as a as an observer of this stuff. Is Microsoft, you know, missed the missed the boat with the web. They didn't think the web was going to be anything. Yeah, and suddenly it was this big deal. And then they they didn't miss it by much. No, 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 not by much. But they they they, they, they didn't notice. Yeah, or it took them a while to react. Mm -hmm. Um, They just and we were talking about this yesterday. They just we're just thrown in the towel with with um, Edge. Um, as their own rendering engine, right? Yeah, uh, um, and I remember when they did the fanfare of that because you know they'd hired this like senior, senior Mozilla engineer to head the project, and this mm. was them embracing the new world. Um, and the, and and the pitch was they believed that as Microsoft they had a duty to provide a reference implementation alongside right. of Google and uh, Mozilla. Yes, was that that Microsoft, you know, having created IE and having had that much market share and blah. Um, it behooved them to create to 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 be another reference implementation to avoid the the um, uh, the, the monopolization of of the browser space. Yeah. Um, but now- and then well and then and then they 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 missed or they, they they misfired a number of times with with mobile devices. You know, Windows Mobile is this tiny fraction. But then you see this, I think, quite a phenomenal rearguard action. Where they've gone into now mobile devices like the Surface, right. I mean, is a gorgeous bit of engineering. Sure. Mm. I'm a I'm an Apple fanboy. I'm actually a Linux kid, right? right. I'm, I'm right. Way, I, I grew up with like Sonos into Solaris into various different Unixes and you know, a lot of Linux. Ran Linux on my laptops. So I'm sure I've mentioned this before for years. And then the only reason I got an Apple laptop is I wanted a laptop with an all day battery. And the yeah. MacBook Air was the only laptop. So that's five six years ago with an all day battery. And then it's seductive. You gradually get, you know, sucked right, into right, right. the the Apple walled garden, and now that's all your kit. And so I have on me right now four different screen formats of Apple device. I've <laughs> right. got a, a watch and a phone and a iPad and a laptop and right, a yeah. bunch of other stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, um, and that sort of becomes your kit. But um, where was I going with that? But so, as someone who that's my ecosystem. I can still look at the Surface and Surface Pro and the various generations as just phenomenal engineering. Mm. Yeah, beautiful machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, really well. And 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 you can see this. I, I love the kind of the hubris that comes out of Apple. Is they go, oh, you know, we'll never have a stylus. You know, Samsung has a stylus. We'll right. never have a stylus. Well, there, here's a there $150 stylus, right? Yeah. We'll never have a keyboard. Here's oh, a $150 keyboard. What they right? meant and they're just is suddenly going, actually, yeah. What know. they meant is we'll <laughs> never have a stylus that's less than $150. <laughs> well, and it comes with the strap line. This changes everything. <laughs> it changes everything for Apple people who didn't already have the thing. Now, what other had five built, years ago? What other things that are built in and expected to be with the product can we charge for? Oh, yeah. Earphones. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's charge for earphones. Let's charge for earphones without a cable. Yes. With really poor. Have you listened to earpods? The dreadful sound quality. Yeah. <laughs> Not in the Apple ecosystem. Oh yeah. First. Going back to the edge in the situation, you know, this is certainly a show I've tried to decide how to do overall. Uh, the fact that they're still going to make edge, but using the Chromium rendering engine, does that seem odd to you? Like, why bother? Why not just use Chrome? Now, I'm going to, I'm going to do something. I've not had the courage to do this before, but I think it's totally appropriate. I'm going to flip this interview around. Okay. Because I'm going to ask you, Rich, exactly that question, because you challenged me when we talked about this a mm-hmm. couple of days ago. Um, and I went away thinking, because I'm fairly combative when we chat, you know, no, that's absolutely. kind of how we roll. <laughs> and I went away thinking, damn, do you know, I think he's actually onto something there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, rather than regurgitating your words, 
So what was your, so you said to me, yes, they're doing this. They're going all in with, with um, well, Chromium rendering engine. Yes. You said, and this is why I think that is. And I went, actually, do you know what? That, that, if that's their play, that's huge. And I don't know that they're, I know any, I have no, no information. No, no, sure, right? sure. I mean, Given first, this is entirely massively conjecture, let's see where it goes. Yeah. Absolutely. But also just, I mean, you start with the fact that Chromium is not Chrome. Yeah. Right. Chromium is an open source project. And I think this is part of the core insight. It's like, wait, you're, you can both work on the same rendering engine. Mm -hmm. It's an open source project. And I think there's an interesting set of rules around the gestalt of an open source project. Like in this modern open source world with these big companies working on these projects, they have to play nice. You mm -hmm. know, the Digerati are watching. And so while you would argue that Google and Microsoft are competitive in many respects, they have been collaborating over web standards, improving their browsers for, well over for a decade. decade. Yeah. And so the fact that they would just go like, why are we still writing this other rendering engine mm. when we can simply contribute to the one that the market has essentially declared is the one? Is the one. Mm. Then I realized as well, so the, the criticism of Microsoft over decades has been this embrace and extend and extinguish kind of model. Right. You know? and, and what's I think exciting about this is, as opposed to pretty much anything that's gone before it, is they will embrace and extend. Right, they will say this is this is a great. But they can't engine. extinguish, will, except that there's now the round trip. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. There's now the closing of the loop that says mm -hmm. if you do embrace and extend, you extend and you have to share your toys. Yes, mm -hmm. and that means we all win. Yeah, and I think that is, and and this again, I've seen a sea change, and it started with Alt.net, but Alt.net was this, you know, was this was a, was a. Uh, very much a guerrilla kind of yeah, movement. sort of a movement very... of open source is not yeah. evil. In the mo and, and, yeah. and their big complaint in my mind was that there was a large number of Microsoft customers yeah. that had fallen into this, I only buy the Microsoft product. Right. Yeah. Even when it's clearly an inferior product, there is an open source product that is better. But because it came from Microsoft, it immediately has more merit. Yeah, right. and I think a lot of the agile tooling, like your, your end unit and... Yeah. And Mark and, and all of these dot, uh, Java inspired or uh, agile Java inspired tools mm. that came into the .NET space. I was at ThoughtWorks at the time, and they were a big kind of um, contributor of these things. Right. There was definitely a community, <clears throat> a, a grassroots community that was uh, adopting these tools, loving these tools, finding them really useful, and contributing um, to them, and contributing to them, mm. and feeding back. And then suddenly it became a thing. And then suddenly, you know. I guess not suddenly because nothing happens suddenly at, at Microsoft, but from the outside world, suddenly you know, .NET Core right. is a thing. Right. And we're saying, well, okay, we're, we're going to have, and exactly as you say, you commoditize the operating system. Mm -hmm. uh, um, we're going to have .NET libraries. We're going to have .NET you know, um, uh, interaction with your core services, your disk, your memory, your network. Mm. and But you don't need to run that on Windows anymore. Right. Uh, just... What? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I think it's it, so that, countercultural. There's, there's a moment inside of Microsoft where they realize Windows is no longer the center of this business. Well, and yeah, you've got like, the Scott Hanselmans, and you've got the you know. The, there's a number of, I think, really pivotal individuals mm -hmm. who have gone, who spent years influencing up and down and across in that organization to gradually cause that seismic shift. And Windows 8 didn't help. I mean, that was their last hurrah, wasn't it? Well, so their last push to sort of rope everybody into Metro Windows. didn't help, did yeah, it? Where they're yeah. kind of, am I a desktop? Am I a tablet? Am I a whatever? I'm just going to completely mess up everyone's yeah. desktop experience. I'm a floor wax and a dessert topping. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, exactly guys, right. 
Can you just pause here for a second while we take a moment to hear this very important message? Support for this episode of .NET Rocks is brought to you by MongoDB. You know, as a software engineer, chances are you've crossed paths with MongoDB at some point, whether you're building an app for millions of users or just figuring out a side hustle. As the most popular non-relational database, MongoDB is intuitive and incredibly easy for development teams to use. Now, with MongoDB Atlas, you can take advantage of MongoDB's flexible document data model as a fully automated cloud service on Azure. MongoDB Atlas handles all the costly database operations and admin tasks that you'd rather not spend time on, like security, high availability, data recovery, monitoring, and elastic scaling. Plus, get access to the latest database features as soon as new versions are made generally available. Try MongoDB Atlas today. Visit mongodb.com rocks to learn more. Support for this episode is also provided by Datadog, a real-time monitoring platform that unifies metrics, logs, and distributed request traces from your cloud containers and orchestration software. Track the health and performance of your dynamic containers, apps, and services with rich visualizations and machine learning-driven alerts. Datadog's new cluster agent streamlines data collection from large container clusters and allows you to auto-scale Kubernetes workloads based on any metric you're already collecting with Datadog. To start monitoring your container clusters, sign up for a free trial today and Datadog will send you a free t-shirt. Visit dd.netrocks.com to get started. All right, and we're back. It's .NET Rocks and Carl Franklin. That's Rich Campbell. And that's Dan North. And we're talking, well, we really started talking about we, we started off talking about what makes a developer today. And, and of course, we went down this rabbit hole of, of the, the embrace of Linux and, and all of that. And I'm wondering if the, the old guys like us who remember DOS had a sort of an advantage in this new world of .NET, which, which requires more and more command line interface uh, acumen than than uh, as previously we were probably used to starting with you know the days of visual basic programming and all the way up through visual studio so i think i think there's there, there's definitely some merit in that what the people the kids i have seen embrace this um are the folks who've been automating with powershell yeah. for some years i mean putting something like powershell a a text-based automation tool mm. Uh, okay, you know, we can have the discussion about whether it should be a object-oriented style language for doing essentially scripting style activities. Mm -hmm. But not in that, that notwithstanding, it's it's a text-based language where I can get fragments and I can do stuff and I can automate things. And the idea of um, programmable automation rather than UI, you know, the traditional Windows model of right. GUI-based automation where I click and drag and drop and set up things in tools. Yeah. Um, as soon as you move to any sort of text-based automation, you've immediately got version control, yeah. diffing, audit, compliance, all of those things. What state of our deployment tool? What, 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 how were we deploying things in July last year? Let me go look. Right. Mm. Right. Rather than I've got no idea because Carl's been clicking all over the place since then. Yeah, it could right. have been anything. Right. Now, needless to, I mean, forget about the fact that GUI apps are just hard to write and maintain and i don't mean hard but time consuming whereas yeah. we can implement uh, a powershell commandlet uh you know quickly and yeah. update it quickly and 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 again there's this there's this wonderful perfect storm of that plus this you know things like github open source movement 
Uh, mm. uh, so the idea that people are sharing their PowerShell fragments with other people. Right. It's really know. on the on the run-ass side, this conversation started happening with IT people where they're starting to share their scripts within their teams. Like it used mm -hmm. to be your scripts were yours and you carried around on yep. three and a half inch floppy mm. and you were the only one that ever run, ran them. And that yeah. was your personal IP. That was your yeah, stock in the company. Unique, yeah, specific yeah. piece of value. But now that you're, the scripts are way more elaborate. They're capable of doing so much more and mm -hmm. they need to do so much more. You really don't are afraid of breaking it. Suddenly, the, you know, when an IT guy comes to the devs to say, hey, can you get me some source control? Like mm. you need to throw a party at that point. Yeah, like, that's yeah, a good yeah. day. Yeah, that's a good it's day. like I actually want source control over this. So Put that, them scripts in a repo. Yeah. <laughs> well, and know who changed them and be able to revert to a previous version and like all mm -hmm. of the things because it is code. Yeah. Or be able to branch them because you want a slightly different version in UAT than you want in prod, and I can diff those things, and I can you know, and then you get towards you know infrastructure as text, which is yeah. a wonderful place. Wonderful place. Uh, um, so yeah, I think I think there's definitely the. <laughs> You know the 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 gnarly old silverbacks who started with the you know the DOS batch files. Yeah, and I remember the furore when dot bat became dot cmd, and it was like, what are you doing, you crazy people? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's interesting that this the the in some ways the open source community kept the light on the power of that. Like the yeah. co configuration is yeah. code, infrastructure is code. Lived in the in this sort of dark world of the of the open source community for a long time. Mm. And it was the enterprises that Trinity came to, we are getting to an unmanageable state. Mm. How can you help us that those tools then came out? And we're in this interesting place now where these two worlds are colliding and taking on skills that are very well known and refined in the open source community. One might say they are bashing together. Save me. Please. Oh, it's gonna oh. be all dad jokes. All <laughs> Three old dads sitting around. I'm, I'm right? just disappointed. I didn't. Yeah, think yeah. That. <laughs> I just I, I got it up for my game. Somebody okay. said to me yesterday at the live recording after it was done. I was in the car and uh, you know listening to .NET Rocks with my kid, and it's in the middle of the show, and that joke comes on, and my kid says to me. Does he know that's not funny? <laughs> yes, he yeah, knows. Yes, yes, he does. He yes. knows. He's not telling that joke. He's inflicting it. <laughs> but well, and this, this, you know, in a in a circuitous way, is largely what I'm talking about with the um, with, with my Beyond Developer mm. kind of idea is, and that started from a conversation, and I guess it's not unrelated, of what does my career look like now. Right, mm. you know, I come into this into this space as a I'm 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 I told I'm told I'm a programmer. I'm mm -hmm. going to be a mm. you know C sharp programmer, and that's really exciting. Mm. And then you know the the the, the old the oldens in the building they say, oh, in my day, you know, you had analysts and you had architects and you had people who would write detailed functional specifications. And yeah. as a programmer, you'd take your functional specification and turn it into code, and that was your part of the pipe. Right. And then someone else would then test that. You know, everyone had their very delineated roles. Mm. And you had a pretty straight, you know, 20, 30 year career trajectory, which is junior dev, dev one, dev two, dev three, right. senior dev, architect, right? Mm. Dev manager. And all you, were, you were growing your expertise <laughs> in, the, in the set of tools that the industry, the company cared about. Mm -hmm. And your domain experience expanded in that yep. space. So yep. you could grow in that role. Well, and sometimes your domain experience didn't. It was just your 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 deep, deep understanding of these otherwise impenetrable systems yes. that you've been yeah. monitoring over All of the terrible years. mistakes you made 20 years ago only <laughs> exist in your mind now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's long since left the building, yeah. Um, uh, to the now, you know, we get these cross-functional teams. We get 
people iterating very quickly on products. We mm. get much more frequent releases. We get much flatter organizations, deliberately much flatter organizations. Mm -hmm. And one of the thing, one of the questions I get a lot as a consultant, you know, I kind of wander around lots of different organizations, is how do I, how do I grow? How do I develop? Mm. And not just, you know, it, it usually starts with how do I get promoted, right? Mm -hmm. but, you know, how do mm -hmm. I earn more? But it's not just how do I navigate my own career, but it's how do I demonstrate to my boss or to my whoever's you know who i need to demonstrate this to that i'm progressing that i'm now more valuable to the organization right um and it's quite a gnarly question in a wider flatter organization and and this is where this whole sort of i say body of work sounds really pompous where this bunch of work anyway this bunch of ideas came from was to start looking at people as these multi-dimensional beings what a, mm -hmm. what a concept right i know right so um, I always talk about Katie, the programmer, because Katie's my model programmer. <laughs> and I say, okay, she's a programmer, right? Now, let's say I'm in an organization and I'm wanting to put a team together. Uh, how do I decide to choose Katie or not to choose Katie or to choose someone else to put in my team? Mm. And it's not just, you know, three plus years of C sharp. Right. 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 Knows WPF or whatever, yeah, right? right? It's not, it's not, it's no longer a tick box. If you do that, you're not going to get an effective team. Yeah. And so I started describing it along six dimensions. There's, there's many more, but these six kind of, there's my back pocket ones. Mm -hmm. So I said, she's a programmer in a team, working on a product, on a platform, in a department, in an organization. Right. And so then you can unpack each of those. So you can say, well, as a programmer, there's a bunch of just core skills that she's going to sure. know. She needs to know how to code, right? Yeah. Uh, but that's not just the language. That's understanding the libraries, the ecosystem, all the stuff right. we're talking about. Yeah. What's changing, Even, what's and new. And specific to the company too. It's like, what is the CI/CD pipeline here? What is the source control model? Well, yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Well, that comes later. So, so, sure. so, so the program bit is just her, you know, I could plop her into any, as a fungible resource into yeah. any situation and, yeah. and off she goes, right? But then she's in a team. So, you know, She's not an island. She's she's she needs to play nice with others. Right. Yeah. What does it mean to work in a team? It's not just like you know collaboration skills. It's things like understanding the skills and capabilities of your teammates. Sure. Yeah. What can I lean on Rich for? Right. Yeah. What can I lean on Carl for? Yeah. Where you know there there's it, it turns out you know that we discover that the I'm making this up, but say so, you know Carl is crushingly introvert, so it's an enormous amount of energy for him to work with someone during the day. Right. So and he does, and he and he does really good work. But by mid afternoon, he just wants to put his cans on and and just work on his own for a couple of hours. Right. right? And so we as a team. That's how we roll. You build we, we, a workflow. We build so that, a workflow. So that by lunchtime, Carl is able to go focus on that. Yeah. And probably And he'll do amazing work in that it. time. Yeah. Right? And he'll nail it, right? And, and right. Or, or he's going to go from research and stuff. And then tomorrow morning when he's got his energy back and he's, you know, yeah. then, then, then we start again. But and it so, does require developers and the team to be honest about those things. Yes. You know, because it's yes. not always the case. People will will say what they think the boss wants to hear in terms of what they will do and sometimes end up doing things they don't want to do. Yeah, yeah, yes, and they call this, this is um, they call this uh, um, silent uh, acquiescence, mm. right? Is that, you know we're we're, we're going to disagree, but yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to disagree out loud. I'm going to I'm going to disagree quietly. I'm just going to go yell right then, whatever. Right, right. And this was so Google did this famous uh, study called Project Aristotle, where they were trying to determine what makes effective teams, mm. right? They were like 30 people and then mm -hmm. they're now 60,000 people. Yeah. And at 60,000 people, there's obviously v enormous variability in effectiveness of human beings when you sure. get any population of 60,000 people. Right. What makes an effective team? 
And they were looking at, you know, individual demographics and skills and capabilities and whatever else. And they discovered again and again that having a team full of ninjas or whatever is yeah. that is not an indicator. Right. right? And what, what the, 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 the key things they found were collaboration um, and what they call psychological safety, mm-hmm. which has now suddenly become a meme. But no one really, or not no one, people tend not to bother understanding what it means. They just use the phrase. Right. Yeah. And psychological safety, a lot of people kind of assume that it means being nice to each other. Yeah. Right, it's going to be nice in this team. And it's going to be psych- no psychological safety is a very different thing. Psychological safety is exactly what you're saying. It's the abil- it's the ability to be vulnerable mm. it, with a group of people mm-hmm. and know that that's okay. Right. It's the ability to respectfully disagree. Yeah. I'm yeah. sorry, I'm, I don't buy that. Right? We're gonna yeah. and we're gonna duke it out, and it's not going to be a winner and a loser. There's going to be two people learning. Right, mm. or whoever else is watching is also learning. We're do, we're going to have this disagreement in order for us all to learn and to produce a better outcome. Yeah, and it's that kind of thinking. So psychological safety again isn't a bunch of people acquiescing, isn't a bunch right. of you know silent agreement. Yeah, I I stay even away from the word disagreement. I look at it as like we are forging metal, and it takes heat to forge it. Yeah, mm. right. That all our goals are actually the same. We are trying to come up with the best solution from this. Yeah, and there's yeah. no reason not to put passion into it. But there's no hate there. This is about pressing hard against an idea. Mm-hmm. There's heat, yeah. but it's not anger. No, you're exactly right. And Ellie Goldratt, one of my favorite, favorite people, uh, wrote The Goal, uh, one of the great 20th century management thinkers. Um, he talks about, and he calls it um, uh, essential harmony. Right. Mm. He says he talks. He says that the universe has has a fundamental harmony to it, mm. which sounds all very zen and whatever. But he's a physicist, right? right? So he's not talking about kind of you know kumbaya hugging type harmony. No. He's, what he's saying is, as a physicist, there is one reality. Right. Right. Now, if I think one thing and you think a different thing, and we're both <laughs> reasonably smart people making sense of the data we have, then at some point in our reasoning there's a missing assumption, right? Right. There's a conflicted assumption. Yeah. And so rather than like me being right or you being right or us duking it out or exactly what you're saying, it's not, it's not about anger or hate. It's about, well, now let's both respectfully unpack how we got to where we got to right. until we hit the, 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 the lodestone there that says, right, that's the bit where we agree. Yeah. Okay, now let's layer back what we had. Oh, you went there and I went there. Oh, that's right. interesting. Mm. Now let's unpack that a bit. And so by exploring that space, we discover, and you know, time and again, it's the, the reality, you know, the truth is somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Right? Well, and, and this, you, but you only get that explore when two people see it differently. Yes. And then can explore it because the, and are and the result to articulate is, it and yeah. feel safe to articulate right. it. And that's the psychological piece. That is. is and that's is the, if I feel like you're trying to, uh, you know, misstep me, you're trying to make me look like an idiot, you're trying to whatever mm. it is, or trying to win one over on me, I'm mm. not playing. Right. Or I'm going to play better than you. You know what I mean? I'm yeah, going to be yeah, badass. Right? Now, if we're going to go ad hominem, yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a different thing. <laughs> yeah. We're not actually worried about the idea. We're worried about who's about the who smartest wins. person. Yeah, yeah. And, and this is it. And, and, and we create these adversarial constructs where yeah. there's going to be a winner. Right. And we both go into it assuming we're the winner and one of us comes away. Whereas mm. uh, in a psychologically safe environment, in a, in a funda- where, where we believe in fundamental harmony, there is a reality yeah. And we as teammates want to explore what we both know in order to try and discover what that is. Mm. And so we now have a shared goal, right? And so now we're pointing in the same direction. And that's a much more powerful way to explore a space. Sure. Mm-hmm.
And and that's so so that that model. So let, let's go back to Katie. So now so she's in a team. So all all of those aspects of being in a team suddenly become significant. Right. Yeah. And then you get then you start overlaying things like neurodiversity. Um and and not just that people bring different skills and capabilities and backgrounds to the party, but they also bring different socioeconomic circumstances, mm. different mental models, mm-hmm. uh, where they are on the autistic spectrum, yep. um, where they are on the you know, psychosexual, whatever, where all, all of that stuff about the, that makes them them. The human stuff. The human stuff. And you've got a bunch of individuals working together yeah. in a shared enterprise, right? That's a team. Turns out that working effectively in a team is quite hard. Yeah. Then we overlay that. Well, we're building a product. So that's now the domain knowledge. Yeah. Right. Who are we building it for? Who are the stakeholders? And so on. And then we get on a platform, which is exactly the stuff you were talking about. Like, what's our past to life here? What's our platforms here? What's our what's the infrastructure? What is the stuff that right. Carl's built up over 30 years that yeah. only he knows that we need to be able to navigate? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then it gets into inner departments. Now this is like uh, about influence and reach and navigating the organization. And then finally, you know, working for Microsoft, working for NDC, working for whatever it is. Well, that organization has values. Right. You know, and how mm. well are my values aligned with? And now suddenly mm. Kate is this really interesting character. Yeah. And mm. she can choose to grow her career along any of She might say, Do you know, what? I'm, I'm done with tech. I've been programming for eight years. I'm pretty good at it. Yeah. I don't want my next year of my career to be getting better at programming. Mm. I don't feel I'm adding any value there that, you know, someone else couldn't write the same code. Yeah. Where I can add value is I've been building relationships in the organization and I want to start coordinating across a bunch of groups of people to start really shifting dials, you know, start really yeah. having business impact. And then yeah. suddenly now you look at Katie a year later versus where she was a year ago and technically she's gotten no deeper, but she's had this enormous influence on the organization that is now doing these amazing things. Sure. Well, that's worth some bucks, yeah. right? And so because we can demonstrate that through evidence, she's chosen that's the dimension she wants to grow along. Mm-hmm. And so then we started riffing on this. And, and you can build out. And honestly, the most <laughs> probably the, the most common model I've seen of this is a spreadsheet because it's basically a spreadsheet right? <laughs> <laughs> of a bunch of people and a bunch of skills across those six dimensions and where you are now and where you want to go. So it's yeah. like an aspirational model. Right now I'm a... I'm okay at uh, distributed computing. Right? I'm mm. okay at things like you know resilience and availability and path to live and uh, mm. messaging and whatever else. And I, I really want to double down on that. In mm. a year's time, I want to be really, really good at those things. Mm. Well, like, that's where I want to spend my my, my energy. Mm. Uh, or it may be you know again, okay, I've been I've been an integral part of the last half a dozen systems we built, which is great fun. But now I want to start thinking broader and more strategically. Well, yeah. that's what I go after. Sure. Yeah. And so we end up. I've with also this- seen folks go the other way. You know, more than one occasion, I have a guy led a team through you know a big piece of a project, and at the end of it, said, "That was great. I'm glad we're there. I'm really tired of shepherding projects. I'd like a coding problem. I want to go back and cut code. <laughs> yeah, I want to go make yeah. something. Like yes. I, yeah, I appreciate yeah. that I helped a bunch of other people be productive. I want to go make something. I want to go make something. Yeah. And and again, and and because because you break the hierarchy, choosing to re-engage your technical skills is just a dimension yep right a directional change it's not oh well now now you're going to become more junior then because you're cutting code again yeah, no right. yeah, or the person with eight years you? experience in this organization choosing to direct that at you know i don't want mads uh, um 
targeted. Uh, yeah, to, yeah. I, I, I want him cutting code. I yeah. want him cutting code that enables other people to cut code, yeah. right? Because right. you know what? He's rather brilliant at it. Yes. Yeah. And, and, it's, and it's the thing he enjoys. <laughs> and he loves it. The, he, he lights up. He talks about code fact. and he lights up. Yeah. The, this effect of full engagement. It's like, I'd rather an amateur that was fully engaged than a professional that's indifferent. Yeah. You know, because yeah. actually I think sure. the amateur will get better results. Passion will carry you further than skill. <clears throat> And, yeah, and, it, and it's and 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 I, and I appreciate you you saying that as as an illustration, but it, it, with all of these things, it's not binary. Yes, yeah, you know, it, it's a spectrum, and you'll find that there is someone who is an amateur across certain axes, but has enormous depth of knowledge across some other axes right. that they hadn't realised was significant. Yes, right, and, and they bring that in, and they go, where did you bring that from? Oh, I, I, I'm a psychology major. Whoa, right? So <laughs> what? I, that, that's going to be so useful on this next piece of yeah. work. Yeah, so, you know, I don't want a, a homogeneous team of CS grads. It's, so would you have hired Katie if she didn't have any DevOps experience? Totally. So and I have. Uh, so so this isn't. I, I can move from hypothetical to experiential and say sure. I have done exactly that. Okay. What I hire for, and I'm very deliberate about this. I hire for curious, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I hire for. Um, yeah, I mean that that that, that well, curiosity is the curiosity is the big thing, right? I hire for, I, I try not to, well, I hire for evidence yeah, is what okay. I do. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to harp on about some, some of the uh, recruiting stuff I got involved in with ThoughtWorks now back in, I, was, I worked for them nine years ago now. Wow. Well, it's been a while. Um, but they have a phenomenal recruiting model and it's all evidence-based. Mm. And so you're looking at evidence, uh, hypothetical evidence. What do they think about things? Or right. opinion evidence rather, hypothetical right. evidence. What would they do if... Um, mm. Uh, and then credential evidence, what are they qualified to do? And then yeah. experiential evidence, what have they done? Yeah. And so when I'm interviewing, I'm looking across those four areas. So I'm saying, you know, the curiosity thing. What do you think about blah? If they just blank, mm. right? Mm-hmm. That's data. Right. Yeah? If they say, and one of my favorite ones is, I've never thought about that. Yes. Give me a minute. Sure. Yeah. Right? Because I want you to, you know. And they might say some, and I have had this in interviews. That's a really big topic. I don't just want to shoot from the hip, hmm. right? That tells me something about you. Yes, I hmm. don't want a team full of people who shoot from the hip. I want you know at least hmm. one or two people that are considered thinkers and yes, and, and again, talking about psychologically safe. Like I've had teams where we don't really believe in any idea that we've explored until that slow thinker steps in. Like the one hmm. that is long term yeah. and considered, and on the first time an idea is presented, would never say a word. Hmm. And so, and literally, it's like, Dan, are you ready to chime in on this yet? Not yet. Okay, well, let's defer this till next the next meeting because the team had come to appreciate that once you've persuaded that personality, once that personality has a position on something, mm. yeah, we're a long way down the path. Right. Sometimes the right answer is, I'm not qualified to have an opinion on that. <laughs> That's uh, useful oh, yes. too. Yeah. Oh, yes. Right. To just to to well. It, it, it is interesting, you know, all these methods of approaches that we have to interviewing, like how much do we love the fast no, right? Just someone who's able right. to make an assessment, you know, not going to mm-hmm. get there in the time available with the resource we have right now, mm. as opposed to I, yeah. I'm just going to try. Well, and this is where we get into the behavioral economics mm-hmm. of it and the thinking fast and slow. Mm. Uh, one of my favorite examples from this is Dan Kahneman, who's a, he's a psychologist who won a economics Nobel Prize. Nice. That's interesting. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that, that was not in my career plan. That's no, great. Expect that. that happened. 
Uh, and what so so the backstory is that he's sharing a corridor with someone with an economics professor, mm. and they're chatting in economics. And he says, "Well, tell me about economics." And he says, "Well, basically, we have these you know perfectly rational people who make these rational decisions about supply and demand." And he says, "Where do you find them?" <laughs> What do they look like? What do they look like? I've never met one. Because I don't know any person. And they said, wait, what? And so then they started exploring this. And so they came up with this term of an econ. And it's an econ right. is this artificial human being that makes perfectly rational Usually. decisions. Yes. yes. And so now you can contrast what an econ would do with what a human would do. Right. And so, of course, Kahneman's got huge amounts of evidence on what humans will do. Yeah. Right? Right. And so you hit this, this um, disconnect right. with basically the whole of economic theory. And so that led to a, a whole new branch of study called um, behavioral, behavioral economics. Yeah. And there's folks like, um, what was it, think, uh, the um, predictably irrational, Dan Ariel. Right, yeah. And uh, he says uh, that, that people make irrational choices, but in a way you can model. Right. Yes. And the Freakonomics guys. Freakonomics, yeah, all of that. So, level, yeah, well, yeah, Malcolm Gladwell is kind of like the, I think of him as the the, the pop psychology version of behavioral economics. Yeah. Right. You got like the Dan Kahneman's, uh, the Dan Ariel is, mostly people start to call Dan, turns out. <laughs> uh, not me, I'm not qualified. <laughs> but like there's loads and loads of these wonderful little anecdotes. And one of them is a study they did on GPs, on doctors. Mm. And they would give a doctor a, a couple of sentences about you know a patient comes in and they're looking a little pasty and there's you know sweat beads under their eyes and they sit down and they and, and, and they get like a couple of sentences and they say right what's your diagnosis hmm. just based on that what's your diagnosis and um uh, how confident are you mm, okay and they would say okay and then they say right now here's another paragraph of and they'd say here now and then you notice this sure, and then yeah, you yeah, do yeah. this test and blah now what's your diagnosis and how confident are you yeah and what they measured pretty universally is that the doctors across the board were more accurate with their first diagnosis and less confident about it right and when they had more information they, they made a poorer diagnosis and, we're more and they were more confident wow. that they made a good diagnosis. Isn't that interesting? Because of the way we process information. Right. We're very, very good at filtering signal. Yeah. Um, we're also very, very bad at understanding why we make decisions. Mm. We make decisions based on familiar rather than correct. Right. right? Yep. And there's a whole bunch of really cool stuff in that space. But then you start seeing organizations making you know, board-level decisions in that way. Right. And the famous story with Andy Grove, who's the the chief exec at, um, at Intel, one of the great, again, one of the great managers of the of the last century, who invented OKRs, which is one of my current favourite toys. We can talk about that. <laughs> but he, you know, uh, Intel was a memory company, yeah, and yeah, and they were the the the, the 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 market was eating their lunch, kind of thing. And they said, well, you know, we we could pivot and become a, a CPU company. We could become a microprocessor company. Mm. And I said, yeah, but, you know, we're all tooled up to do memory and we're all that. And so uh, Andy Grove and it Charles Moore, wasn't it? Yeah. It? Gordon. Mm. Gordon Moore, sorry. Yeah, Charles mm. Moore is the crossing the chasm. Gordon right. Moore. They're sitting in the boardroom. And, and so, so uh, Andy Grove says, so forget, imagine it's not us. Imagine we've just walked into this company. Mm. Right? We don't know anything. We're not here. We're, we're, we're new people. Yeah. Mm. And we saw the tech we've got, the people we've got, and where the market's going. What would you advise us to do? Right. And he said, well, I'd advise us to become a CPU company. It's obvious. And he went, right, I'm going to sack us. Yeah. <laughs> so he sacked them both. They yeah. went out the room, and then they <laughs> came <laughs> back <laughs> in. Now you're new. And now you're new. <laughs> yeah. And then in, within a year, famously, they, they pivoted the whole thing. And they said, yeah. we are going after the mid-market 
uh, microprocessor space, and we're going to own that market. Right. Mm. The and, and, and they introduced this like, thing called OKRs, Objectives, Key Results, which is a tool for aligning an organization. They took mm. the whole of Intel and just went mm-hmm. CPUs. And yeah. the rest is the 90s, right? Yeah. <laughs> As they say. And here we are. Here we are. This is yeah. the, 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 Every piece of tech on the desk right now has, has Intel CPUs. Yes. Dan, Dan I, I feel that we could just talk for hours. Like we could sit here all day and have this great conversation, but unfortunately we've come to the end. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. What, Every time. What, what's, uh, what's new with you? What's next? What, are we, what can we uh, uh, look forward to? Oh, my goodness. So I've just started working with a most unusual organization. Um, not sure how much it's, uh, uh, it's okay for me to say at the moment. It's one of the fastest growing organizations in the world. It's certainly one of the fastest growing uh, in terms of customer acquisition. Hmm. Um, and uh, they, I have no idea how this happened. Okay. <laughs> well, I have some idea how this happened, but I, I'm still pinching myself. Their senior management reached out to me in the middle of last year and said, look, we've grown this company from nothing to a few thousand people in mm. like a blink. Mm. And um, we've got this eye-watering amount of you know, active subscribers and mm. we've got this huge business. And we know that what we've got at the moment is a thrown-together organization. Mm. We've gone from you know, urgent thing to urgent thing. Mm. And we've been really, really good at landing those urgent things. Yeah. And what we've got is an organization that looks like that. Yeah. Um, can you help us sure. munge that into you know, a high-performing model yeah, organization? Yeah, sure. um, is my new gig. I, wow. I suspect in a year or so's time, I'll have a lot more to talk to you folks wow. about with it. But it's really exciting and mad as badgers. Yeah. <laughs> mad as badgers. Yeah. That's the most English thing I think I've ever heard you say. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we can't wait to hear about that. And uh, thanks for hanging out with us for this hour. It's been great. Oh, it's been so fun. I, I, I love spending time with you. Yeah, us too. All right, we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a boy. Life is hard.